0: It was probably a day like most days, you know, most days don't, most days start the same. Um, You know, they they say, oh, that person must have got off the wrong side of the bed. Well, most of us don't ever get out on the wrong side of the bed. We have the same side of the bed that we always get off. We We go, we'll brush our teeth, hopefully, we brush your teeth. You brush your teeth the same way. You start, start paying attention. You start on the same side every time you brush your teeth. Um, you do the st- same things the same ways most mornings. Most days are everyday sort of days. And it was probably an everyday sort of day in which a young man got out of bed, did what he needed to do, and walked into town to say the three sentences that would eventually get him killed. Those sentences were these. You can find them actually in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Three sentences. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now for us, this doesn't seem like such a harmful thing to say. It doesn't seem like if we began a career, began a ministry with uh, the kingdom of God, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news, we wouldn't guess that three years later we'd end up dying for what we said or what we taught. Now what's interesting about this is there's a lot of people who had said similar things and they too had died. But they died differently. There are a lot of guys who decided that they were the Messiah and they came a couple hundred years before this, hundred years before this, thirty years before this. And they walked out into their town square and said, the kingdom of God is coming and yet has come What got Jesus in trouble is he veered from the typical message. You see, in, in, in first century uh, Palestine, in first century Galilee, and Judea, the, the Jewish people in that area wanted one thing more than they wanted anything else. They wanted the Romans out, and they wanted their land for themselves. If they could just get, uh, if they could just get control, then everything would be fine. Because, you know, that worked out in First and Second Kings. But if they could just somehow get the, um, get their king on the throne, not Herod, get their king on the throne, be in charge of their own land, not Rome, not Caesar, but the Jews just in charge of their own land. Now, what that was going to take was some people were going to have to pick up some swords and follow a Messiah. And so a lot of messiahs would come out and said, all right, the kingdom's starting, the time has come. All you've got to do is believe and follow me. Believe that I am the messiah. For these other movements, repentance wasn't anything. It wasn't needed. You just, because what they were doing, everyone believed that the best thing that could happen was that the Romans would be run out of town. Everyone believed that the best thing that could happen was that King, that Herod got knocked off his throne. The Israelites could claim Israel once more. They would take just Judea, but they wanted, I mean, the whole thing could be theirs. And when a Messiah showed up and said, hey, you know the thing you're always thinking? Well, I'm going to help you take that. I'm going to help you run with it. Seems to me like that's probably not the best path, is it? Now it's the best path if you want a bunch of people to follow you, and they you want a bunch of people to follow you and battle. There were a lot of people who died on the battlefield watching their hopes of a of a the Israelite people getting their land back. Watch it. Flicker like a mirage in the distance a lot of people bought in to the idea that we're going to just run into battle and everything's going to work out for us a lot of people died like that but jesus's message wasn't hey guys you know the thing you've always thought i'm going to be in charge of that and come on just believe let's go but Jesus added one word that messed the whole thing up. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near, or is coming, or is approaching. Repent. <coughs> and believe. So listen, we're really fine with believing. We're really good at believing, Maybe but you throw that one word in there, that really messes with us. The word comes from, uh, the word it basically means turn your heart. Like what, what you focus on all the time at your very core, turn away from that onto something else. It's a fun Greek word, metanoeo. It's real it's much more fun to say than repent. Although repent has this accent to it. Repent, you know, so see a lot of y'all just had flashbacks of church when you were younger. Now the way we always said it there was a there was a hierarchy, there was a steps you had to take. There's repent or here, there's believe, there's repent, there's confess and there's Baptism, now, if you just come forward and get baptized, we'll assume all the rest. But there was these steps. Salvation. In my notes there, it says, click, 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 salvation. Just walk up, and there you go. The problem with repent being just this step that you hit, and then... You go on to the next step. Confess. Do you realize, if we made everybody repent before they got baptized, do you remember how, do you realize how many people would get baptized? Well, we do make people repent. Yes, we make people repent if they have a particular sin that really bugs us. Like they're addicted to a certain thing, or they're living in a certain relationship that is unhealthy. But tell someone, well, I think someone comes to Jesus and we say, well, I, it, from hanging out with you a lot, it seems like you're a bit of a glutton. I'm not ready to baptize you until you can repent of that. That'd be absurd. Now, we want people to repent of sins that really bother us, but there's some sins that we're just fine with. Gossip. Just flat being a jerk. All right. We've said the word busybody like it's a compliment, right? Sometimes, if you're really holy, you can turn gossip into prayer requests. Have you ever noticed that? I want you to be with Brother Allen. Do we have a Brother Allen here? Sorry. Um, I want you to be with him. Man, I saw his truck at the tobacco store. And I don't think that his wife knows that he... See how far we can get into. We just love information. I actually had a woman tell me, "You know, it's not gossip if it's not if it's true." Well, that's silly. It's lying if it's not true. (laughs) It's gossip if it's true. We love. There's certain sins we're just completely fine with. There's certain we encourage gluttony. We encourage it. Any potluck, go to potluck, sit down, eat your food, get up when you're done. Go get a tiny piece of chocolate cake, that it square on the middle of a plate. Walk back slowly and count how many people say, that's all you're going to get? We encourage it. We, there are some sins we just flat encourage and there's others we say, well, you're going to have to repent, repent before we baptize you. What about all the other baptized sinners? Repentance isn't just some step you hit and then you're gone. Repentance is a lifelong turning away from what your instincts are toward what Jesus would have you do. If your following of Jesus isn't making you need to change, I doubt you're following Jesus. Because our, when, coming, when we come into contact with the king, guess who's going to look pretty poor by comparison? Repentance is absolutely necessary. You cannot claim Jesus and still be the king of your life. You can't claim his salvation without letting Him rule. You can't let Him be Savior without letting Him be Lord. He has got to be in charge. And it's going to be tough. And it was tough, for, it was tough for the people who first heard this. This is what got Jesus killed. Because they wanted a Messiah who would come and say, hey, you know the thing you've always thought? I think that too. Come on your swords, let's go. But what Jesus says is you know the thing you've always thought? That ain't the thing you should be thinking. You know the direction you've always pointed? That's not the direction you need to be pointing. You are going to have to turn about face and instead of take up a sword Jesus says all who want to come after me do need to deny themselves and take up the cross. It's a different sort of of life that he calls us to. And it's it's going to be difficult. When I was a child, um, mom would leave us in the car uh, while she went into a store. Don't worry, she cracked the windows, (laughs) set a two-hour time limit. And we would just sit in there and wonder when she was going to come back. <laughs> now, I don't think... My mom's not the only mom who did that. Um, back then, it wasn't abuse. Now you do that to a dog, you get arrested. But we were in the car, just waiting. And this is one of the nice times that she had left it running. And... Um, Or at least left the air air kind of blow hot air on us. Um, And I was sitting up front and um, brother and sister were sitting in the back. We were just finding things to do. Because back then you didn't have, you didn't just get out a screen and stare at it. You just looked around. We've forgotten how to be humans and just just look around. We've just looked around. And so I, I saw this thing um, back, uh, just sitting in the middle, that was uh, a cigarette lighter. It turned out. Um, now I knew it was a cigarette lighter. I don't, guys. If you're too young to know this, back back in the day, every car came equipped with a cigarette lighter. Uh, just in case you needed to light something on fire. Um. What you what is now the the port for the phone charger used to be the port for the cigarette lighter, and you would first push it in, second wait a second, third pull it out, and it was a red hot red hot poker <laughs> that could easily cause you to make a like a a, a detour to the ditch if you dropped it. Um, so just danger abounding in this car like I'm a curious person I was like I wonder how that works no one ever explained to me how it worked well I pushed it and it stayed in and I thought hmm that didn't do anything I didn't know what it was I didn't know if a little flame was supposed to come up I don't know what happened but I what I thought was going to happen but I pulled it out and it was red and I was like huh well it's red I wonder how hot that is it was at this point that I decided to make the second dumbest decision I've ever made in my life. I touched it. And it burnt my finger. Now, those of you who were curious children know the dilemma, the quagmire, if you will, that I was in at this very moment. Because I, I, I wanted sympathy from my mom because my finger was hurting. But I also did not want her to know what I had done. So I had to decide whether I was going to get sympathy or whether I was going to get away with it. And I chose the latter. And I was just going to put it back in. But it was still a little red. And I thought, well, I don't think you're supposed to put it in there while it's still hot. So I waited for it to not be red anymore. And then I thought, huh, it's not red, I wonder if it's hot. It's at it's at this point that I decided to make the dumbest decision, do the dumbest thing I've ever done, and I touched it again with the same finger. Well, Mom found that, because that was a disaster. But, I mean, all of your instincts, like you all get why I said the first time I did it, that's the second dumbest thing I've ever done, and the second time I did it that's the first right because you know you make mistake once it's a mistake you make make a mistake again well that's just you maybe at first is curiosity the second time it's stupidity so what i had what my instincts are now and all of our instincts are now is if something brought me pain the first time, I'm not going to do it a second time. But that, I would argue, is a false instinct. It's not a good idea. The way we should phrase this is, if something brings me um, worthless pain the first time, it's not worth it the second time. But sometimes... Vulnerability and pain and difficulty is worth it. If you've ever been in a good marriage, sometimes good marriages argue. Actually, when I do premarital counseling, um, what I'm doing is I'm trying to pick a fight and watch how they argue. And then try to help them argue, because it would be my it's my understanding that good marriages argue well. Are open and honest and aren't don't attack, but just and no nudging, no one nudge your person sitting next to you right now. So sometimes pain is worth pain. Sometimes difficulty is worth the difficulty. And repentance is one of those things. Maybe you've tried to quit the addiction, but the pain of failure is is just too hard. Maybe you've tried to quit that one particular sin or get out of that inappropriate relationship, but being honest about it would just be too difficult. I I would argue that it's worth every ounce of pain that repentance brings. Because when you start needing when you start controlling yourself for the first time it's hard. But it's worth it. And then, now I'm going to I'm going to tell you when you decide to start controlling yourself and you come up against difficulty, your instinct is to be pulled back and say, I'm not going to try that again. I'm not going to touch that again. I might get burned again. But I would argue push through that. Is there a part of your life that you need to repent from that you just don't think you have the self-control to do? I've seen that a lot. I've lived that a lot. Here's something just practical that could help. Don't take on the monster first. Like the big thing that you're wanting to overcome, that you're wanting to stop doing that, don't take it on first. Find something else you don't like doing and do it. Like do you hate making the bed? Make the bed. Do you you hate eating vegetables? Eat some vegetables. That's probably good for you anyway, so I've heard. Find some self-control somewhere and then strengthen that muscle. You might not need to go on a diet, but go on one anyway. Because this idea of self-control, you're not, you're not just going to float through your life haphazardly and then when you run into a point where you, need to, you might need some self-control, you're not going to be ready for it unless you've flexed that muscle before. Right now, when I'm at home, I'm in charge of all diapers. Thankfully, we just have one that has diapers. I'm in charge of all of them. Rachel said, I'm in charge of what's going into him, you're in charge of what's going out of him. I've abided by such a rule. Now my instinct is to say, well, it's your turn. But it's being very helpful for me. It's been very helpful to exercise a self-control muscle that's not that hard to exercise. And it's helpful along the way when something else comes up and I need to be self-controlled. I will have flexed that muscle before. See, our instinct is not to repent, not to turn our own lives, but to be very aware of how everyone else needs to repent. Of course the world needs to repent. It's so silly to talk about what other people need to be doing. You are not done yet. You are not done. Sure, you may be more polite than other people, but there are other people who are more polite than you. Sure, you may be more thoughtful or more gracious or more um, helpful or you may be more considerate or you may walk faster in Walmart than other people, but there's other people who are better than you. You're not, you have not arrived. You are not the gold standard. You need to repent. They tell us, um, they, well, they told me in school, maybe they just told me, they told us in school, um, when you get to a church, you wait five years before you try to change anything. Because they need to earn your trust. Problem with that, and they're talking about church systems and all that mess, but problem with that is when when we look closely at the face of Jesus, everybody needs to change. Jesus' first sentence, or first or third sentence, actually, first message was repent and believe. Change who you are at the core. Benjamin, let's at least acknowledge that there are some people who need to repent more, right, than I do, right? That's foolish. Stop giving yourself a pass because you think you're good enough. Now listen, I wouldn't argue that you need to beat yourself up constantly, but if you're following Jesus, there's going to be times when, when what you think is not what he thinks, and our instinct is often to just sort of turn what he thinks. Look what, he, well, look what Paul says in Romans. Let's get to that slide about Romans. You, therefore, here he's talking to people who judge. You, therefore, I have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. You're just as bad. I wish I had a sign in my car. I just, all I need is a, is a, is a stand and a piece of cardboard and have someone who has handwriting that's legible, not me, um, write, I'm sorry on it. Because there's a lot of times I need to hold that out the window. If someone pulls out in front of you in a Camry, it's probably me. I just, I thought it was clear. On on a scale of one to ten with one being, I'm not going to tell you and ten, I'm not going to let you know, I'm probably a six and a half. I'm an okay driver. I'm doing my best. But when people pull out in front of me, I think it's the end of the world. We're doing the exact same things. Next slide, verse four. Or do you... Show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience. This is not just riches of His kindness. This this uh, the sentence should say, riches of His kindness, the riches of His forbearance, and the riches of His patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to bring you to repentance. There's an emphatic you here. It's not, God's kindness is not, intended for you to bring others to repentance, God's kindness is meant to bring you to repentance. He is going to show mercy. He is going to show forbearance or or, or mercy or kindness. He is going to show patience to you and He's going to lavish it upon you until you get to the point where you're ready to turn your heart completely to Him. Why do we think That shouting Bible verses at people is what's going to make everyone else repent. What is the evangelism strategy that Jesus or that God uses? He lavishes riches of kindness and forbearance and patience on us. I would argue that if we want other people to repent, the mode of of operation should be kindness and forbearance. For patience, mercy, love. And and God's kindness, God's patience, God's forbearance, putting off our sins and saying, I know he's sinning right now, but just wait. He, God is hopeful God is hopeful about what we might become. Not judgmental about what we have been. God is not judgmental about what we have been, but He is hopeful about what we might become. And so when Jesus comes he stands in front of them in Mark and says, repent and believe this isn't a condemnation, but it's a hope. It's a message of hope. The world can be better than this. This church, I believe this is a very good church. This church, we can be better than this. This preacher can be better than this. My marriage can be better than what it is. See, sometimes when we talk about repentance, and I I think this is so important, so I'm going to just stretch it just a bit here. Um, When we talk about repentance, what we start seeing is this level of holiness that we must attain. And that, that, well, I've repented of some things, but I haven't really repented of like some big things, and I just don't know if I've done the step To repent. When God calls us to repent, He does it with patience. He does it with kindness. He does it with forbearance. He has a hope for what we can become, and He's going to help us attain it. God hopes for us. the worst thing we can do is to ever get to a place where we think we are done, where we have achieved it, and it is now our job to start pointing out the faults of others. Well, I'm a perfect person, I'm a perfect church, blah, 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 I love hearing myself talk. There's no good to anyone. We... Will always, as a church, as a people, as a marriage, which congratulations, forty years, my goodness, didn't know they let you got married get married at five and six. That's that happens I guess. as a marriage, as whatever. God God is hoping for something better than what we are right now. Not because he's mad and he's thinking, well, I deserve better. But he loves you, he is patient with you, and he has hopes for what you can become. If you want to enter into a relationship with a God, with a Messiah, who is hopeful about what you are capable of, Today's the day. It's Memorial Day weekend. You'll always remember when it happened. Um, There's not a lot of people gawking at you. We're a little low today. So, come on. What are you waiting on? Let God rule. Let Him turn your heart to Him And let it affect everything you do and everything you're involved with from here on out. But if you need to be in a relationship with God through Jesus today, if you need to heal a relationship with God, if you need prayers from the church, please come forward while we stand and sing.